And Lord, as we look in the scriptures this morning, instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Being with the city fire department for several years, we would get all kinds of training and uh, hazardous materials and other types of things. One one day we got, uh, it's kind of fun, felt like recess to me, we got taken out to the police blasting range southeast of Topeka. And for a full day, they basically showed us samples they had of explosives. And in the afternoon, they took these small samples that we'd been looking at in the classroom, they took them out onto the range, and they blew them up for us. And, you know, they had C4 plastic explosives, and they had fertilizer-type explosives, and they, uh, they had other things. One of the things that really struck me was they took debt cord, this, uh, what does that stand for, Brad? I forget. Detonation cord. And it's, uh, they took a piece that was about five feet long, and it was as thin as a wire, and they blew it up probably 60, 80 yards for us, and you could feel the concussion from what it just looks like a little wire. You could feel the concussion that far away. Very little piece of material, but had incredible explosive force. They did the same thing with some C4 and some other things. But these little packages that you couldn't believe could be that powerful. And as you know, unless you've been vacant from the earth for a while, the Palestinians and the Israelis know about explosives and that it just takes a very little package to do incredible destructive force or activity. The U.S. is perfecting these bombs, these smart bombs. I'm smiling as I say this. I don't know why the technology, I guess. But, you know, as far as destruction goes, a way of getting a bomb to destroy caverns way under the earth. I mean, just great destructive force in these relatively small packages of explosives destruction small packages on the other hand you know along sean schwenson's and the other engineers line engineers and roadway experts know how to take these same kinds of explosives and clear rock and hills etc and lay down roadbeds very constructive things or we saw downtown Topeka several years ago, uh, implosion experts can take these small explosives and they can wire them up in just the right place and they know how to bring a building down, you know, within its own footprint so it doesn't destroy things around it and they can put up something new and useful. So you've got these explosives. They're little, they're small, but they carry this incredible power. And the scripture, I would venture to say this morning, says that you and I have incredible power also, just like these explosives. And the power that God gives us, we can use to build people up or to tear them down. We can use this power constructively or destructively. And the power that I'm suggesting, the scripture says you and I have, lies in the words that you and I speak every day. The words you and I speak every day. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I confess, like giving, we are going to cover in about 25 or 30 minutes a subject that is is far too broad to do any real justice to this morning, obviously. We're just hitting the, the caps of the waves. We're just touching some of the high points along the way here. But the power we have in our words, very powerful, very great, can be constructive, can be destructive. Listen to Proverbs 18, 21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of tongue. When you and I speak, we can bring death or we can bring life. It's in the words that we say. 
uh, James in his epistle, you know, he's one of the bluntest writers in the scriptures. Probably one of the reasons why I enjoy his epistle as much as I do. But in James 3, thinking about small things that carry great power, James says, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. So you take this great big powerful horse, you put a little bit, little bitty bit in its mouth, and you direct this incredibly powerful beast with just a small element. Or he says, look at the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, so huge mass, great forces of wind driving them, it says they're directed by a very small rudder. This very small element compared to everything else is actually what directs the whole uh, direction of that ship. Very small thing influences great power. James says, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. He says it's a small part of the body, but it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. In the days of the old gas ranges, you know, you'd strike a match to light a fire and you'd cook dinner. Little match, controlled flame, produces something beneficial. On the other hand, you could take that same match, same amount of fire, you can throw it in a house, you can throw it in a forest, and you can cause great destruction, and it comes from the same place. It comes from the same source, the same energy, either used constructively or destructively. James says in concluding in this section, with our tongue, and it's obviously, it's not just the tongue, physically, it's our words, it's the words we speak. Uh, With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, on one hand, and with it we curse men who have been made in his image or in his likeness. Same source, same small member, blessings on one hand, cursing on another. He says, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be this way. The words we have, great power, life or death. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he's gone through three chapters of doctrine and he's talked about being seated with Christ in heaven and the administration of the ages being headed up in Christ and so forth. And in chapter 4, he talks about people who are blown around by waves because they're unstable, they're not sure what to believe. And part of that's based on the things they're taught. And he says in light of that, Ephesians 4, verse 15 Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We're thinking about words. They have power. Paul says we are to speak the truth in love, and God will use that so that you and I as individuals and so that we as the church grow up into the image of Christ, which is God's will for us. And in some significant degree, that's going to happen only into the degree that you and I speak the truth and love to each other. We're all individually responsible to grow just between the Lord and us. But we have this interactive benefit with each other when we speak what's true and we do it in a motive of love. Uh, This is a huge, huge concept. It's a big deal, I think, especially for us in the United States and in the Western world, and I'll mention why in a minute, but... My question becomes, what does it look like to speak the truth in love? What does that look like practically, day by day? How do we do that? What does it look like? Again, we're only going to touch on the high points here. But let me suggest six things that touch on how do we speak the truth in love. 
The first is, hearkening back to last week's teaching on giving, it's to consider your words like money, a resource that you're going to spend wisely. Consider your words as money. They're something, they're a commodity that you spend, and you want to spend them wisely. James 1.19 says, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. This is something we talk about at our house a lot. Be slow to speak. And when we speak quickly and without thought, we get in trouble. We say things we shouldn't say. James says, be slow to speak. Sometimes we think what we have to say is so important, it can't wait. James says, no, be slow to speak. Proverbs 10.19, this is one that convicts me regularly. Where there are many words, transgression or sin is unavoidable. The more I speak, the more likely it is that I'm going to err in my words, that I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say or say it in a manner that shouldn't be said. Where words are many, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You know, most of us know financially we have limited resources. So we budget or we plan or we know that we've got this much money to spend, so we're going to spend it in these places in this fashion because we need to. It's a limited resource. We spend it wisely, thoughtfully, slowly. And if we bring that over to words... He who restrains his lips is wise. It's like I'm holding on to my wallet. I'm not just throwing money out in any direction or thoughtlessly, but I'm spending it slowly, thoughtfully, wisely. Proverbs 13.3 says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his own life. Have you ever spoken uh, quickly and maybe thoughtlessly, and then as soon as the words were out, thought, Oh, Lord, I wish I hadn't said that. You know, I know I've just created trouble for myself, or I've just created trouble for someone else. If I had only bit my tongue, if I'd only thought before I'd spoken, but I spoke rashly, quickly, I spent my money before I thought, and I've regretted it as soon as it's out. You know, we need to speak slowly, wisely, thoughtfully. This is another convicting one, under the same thought about spending your words like money wisely, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they'll give an account for in the day of judgment. You know, all of us as Christians living life on the earth, our sins are forgiven and we belong to the Lord, we're going to heaven. But we'll still give an account as a steward or as a son for the way we've chosen to live life on the earth. And you can read about that in First and Second Corinthians. We'll give an account. And Jesus says one of the things we give account for are the words we spoke. And here it says, even every thoughtless word, every idle word, other translations say. In other words, not just the things that you really thought hard about and then spoke, but the things you just threw out there. Jesus says, you'll give account for those. So realizing that I've got to give account for the words I speak, the thought is, I need to be thoughtful. I shouldn't speak careless thoughtless words. I'm going to answer for them later. I shouldn't make thoughtless purchases because I know my, uh, my resources financially are limited. I should bring that same mentality to bear on the words I speak, slowly, thoughtfully, with care. I'll give account for them. So to speak the truth in love, first spend your words like money. Speak them wisely and slowly. 
The second thing is the scripture says a lot about what not to do when we speak. That is, if we're going to speak the truth in love, there's some things that don't go along with that. Ephesians 4.29, later in the same verse that uh, our key verse is taken from here, uh, Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Imagine you're a cook, you're serving up dinner. What you serve on that platter, you want to be something that's tasty and wholesome. If you went to the trash and brought out garbage and put on the plate and served that to your guests or to your family, you know, would they appreciate that? And is that really what you want to do? That's kind of the thought here, that when you're serving up your words, you're giving someone something to eat. Make sure that it's wholesome. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Something that would be destructive. Remember the explosives, good or bad, our words, good or bad, make sure that they're not unwholesome, that they are wholesome, like food. Uh, Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. I think oftentimes this happens primarily through anger. You know, if you're in an argument with someone else, especially if you're hurt, or if you feel they're not giving your issue the attention it deserves, sometimes we do things, we say things that we know intentionally are destructive to get someone else's attention. And it's as if we take that sword and we stab them verbally, either to intentionally hurt or to intentionally get their attention. It's like the stabbing of a, of a sword. Think about your words and think back, are you taking your words like a knife or a sword and using them destructively to just stab someone else through, either face-to-face or behind their back, which we'll talk about in a minute? Are you taking words like a sword or a knife and assassinating someone else while they're not looking or behind their back? Are your words like that sword that is being thrust into someone else? Scripture says don't do that. Uh, don't speak death with your words. I love Proverbs 15.1. This was an early memory verse for us and our girls. Harsh words stir up anger. Harsh words, angry words, bitter words. They stir up more anger. So if I come to you and I'm ticked at you and I start getting in your face and speaking harsh words, your tendency is going to be to be harsh in return, to match anger for anger or bitterness for bitterness. So that if I'm going to speak the truth in love, one of the things I cannot do is speak harsh words. Harsh words. We can say very difficult things to others. In fact, I would argue that scripturally we must say what are at times very hard things to say to someone else or hard things for someone to hear. And you're commanded to when that's the truth and when it's in their best interest or in the interest of Christ and his church. There are times you must say that. But you never have to say it harshly. It never has to be a sword bringing destruction. It could be, in contrast, thinking on that theme, a scalpel used by a surgeon removing something that's hurtful. But even if we're saying some hard thing to another person, it should not be in anger or in bitterness. It should not be harsh. Harsh words stir up anger. And Proverbs 26, last in this, this category, where there is no whisperer, contention dies down. Contention. You know when you have a problem and instead of going to the person with it, you talk to three other people about it? 
And then they talk to three other people about it. You know how divisions and contentions arise? Generally because we talk about things, but we don't address the issue itself. The implication is here, don't be a tale-bearer. Don't be a gossip. Don't be whispering around about things, situations, or people. If something needs to be addressed, address it, but don't go around secretly whispering. It says that brings contention. It brings division. And you individually and others you affect won't grow. And it just, it's destructive to the church, to body life also. That is not speaking the truth in love. So don't be a whisperer, a gossip, a tale-bearer. I'm not going to say much about gossip. I do think if we follow the teachings about don't do certain things and do do other things or do it certain ways, I think that we'll avoid uh, gossip in general. And I think motive, which we'll touch on at the end, um, this, this thing goes both ways. All of us are humans with relationships with other people, and it's normal in the course of relationships to talk about things that are components of our life, and sometimes that's other people. If you're talking to your spouse or a close friend about something, when you're speaking in a limited forum, either seeking advice, sometimes just dumping, sometimes just letting somebody else know how stressed or upset or whatever you are, um, there's a place for that. Gossip has more to do with this thought that I get some unwholesome or unholy delight in talking about someone else. It really does go to motive. It goes to motive. And so if I'm speaking unwholesomely about someone else and I really need to speak to them, that's what this comes, comes under. Don't be a whisperer or a talebearer. Don't spread strife or division. <clears throat> make sure your motive, if you're speaking to someone or if you have to speak about someone, make sure that your motives are right before God. Again, you will give account for those words when you see Christ, so do that circumspectly. Uh, scripture has more to say and a lot to say about how to speak. Uh, speaking the truth in love, what does it look like? We've said it, it means not doing some things. It certainly means doing several others. The other half of Proverbs 15.1, harsh words stir up anger, but guess what? Gentle answers turn away wrath. Gentle answers. If you come up in great anger to me and you express your words in anger and I just respond in gentleness, you know what it tends to do? It just diffuses the situation. I'm not adding fuel to the fire. It's diffusing. So if you refuse to get combative with someone else who's coming on aggressively, there's no fight. That gentle answer, it turns away wrath. It diffuses the situation. Proverbs 12.18 says, The tongue of the wise brings healing. When I speak to someone else or when I speak about a situation, my motive should be to be helpful. It should be to bring healing or health, wholesome, as we talked about earlier. Uh, in Ephesians, there's three verses in chapters 4 and chapter 5. Paul says, Speak words that are good for edification. That's a long word, but it really means you're speaking words that build someone up. They don't tear them down. They build someone up. So that when I speak, I want to make sure that the effect of my speech on someone else is to build them up. Uh, I hope all of you know someone whom, when you think about this, you have someone in mind. Um, Marvin DeGroff, who spoke here uh, last month, comes to my mind when I think of this. 
Marvin always tries to speak in a way that is encouraging. So Marvin could tell me something that was difficult to hear, but I know Marvin's motive, and his words tend to be so encouraging that I think of that as an example of this. Someone who's bringing healing when they speak. Health comes from what they say. Health and healing. It will build up. It won't tear down. And it says in that same verse in Ephesians 4.29, it will give grace. It will give grace. Colossians says it's, it's gracious and it's seasoned with salt. It's made acceptable. It's helpful, gracious, kind. These should all be things that characterize our speech. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks. We can speak the truth in love with, uh, with one another, and if our speech is characterized by thankfulness, it disarms others. When we tend to be thankful, uh, it, make, it comes from humility, and it's disarming to others. It's helpful. 1 Timothy 1.5, if I say, what's the motive for what I speak? My men's group memorized this. The goal of our instruction, if I speak to you or if I'm teaching, the words that I speak, my goal for them is that they would produce love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. If that's your motive and mine, if that's the goal for our speech towards others, we will be on solid ground. That's speech the way it's supposed to be. And this is the final test. If nothing else hits you, Colossians 3.17. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, and just focus on the word here, whatever you do in word, whatever you say, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the acid test for me is this. Can I attach Jesus' name to the words I'm saying? Would Jesus be willing for me to attach his name? to the words I'm saying. In my home, in my business or place of employment, with the people I interact with casually or more often, can Jesus Christ attach his name to my words? This is the acid test. Can I in good conscience attach his name to the words I speak? That's what Paul says. We talked about worship last time, and we talked about giving in the light of worship. This is the same thought. We're not just speaking words to others, but we are offering our words, if you will, as an offering to God himself. Is this an offering he can accept, or does he need to reject it? Are your words an offering Christ can accept, and can he attach his name to them? I've read two articles recently. World Magazine has had two articles uh, about the concept of being nice versus being kind. When you are in relationships with other people, and this, this is all under the hat of speaking the truth in love, lots of times you might choose not to say something that you should say, and you won't say it because you're being a nice person. We in the, West, in the West value being thought of as being nice, being nice. And you know the scripture never exhorts Christians to be nice people. I find that interesting. Never encourages to be nice. It does encourage other qualities. And being kind 
And speaking the truth in love means sometimes I go to someone I know and I say, you know, I have a concern about your life in some area. Or we'll talk about it a little later. There's a sin in your life are you aware of and you need to address. But very often, for the sake of being nice people, we refuse to speak the truth in love or in any other fashion to someone. And it's to their hurt that it's not spoken. Uh, in my business, I pay people to give me input. I do surveys that I, I give people gift certificates for if they'll fill them out and send them in because it is almost impossible to get good information. People, they don't want to tell you something they think you don't want to hear. And I'm like, please tell me. Uh, my business will be better if you'll tell me the downside, what you see as a downside of my business. But it's almost impossible to get that kind of feedback. Almost impossible. If you have someone in your life who's willing to tell you the truth in love, hold on to them. We talked in John's Gospel when we talked about friends, real friends. If you've got a real friend, keep them. And one of the things real friends do for their friends is they speak the truth in love. Hard things, what may sound like hurtful things. We met a young couple we've been meeting with probably for a few months now. Their marriage is on the rocks, their life stinks, etc., etc. And we sat down with them, and based on what they'd said, you know, we said, you know, you've got some sin issues here. You, you need to repent. You need, <laughs> you need to forsake your sin before God and start doing right before the Lord and before each other. And to me, this wasn't that big a deal. I mean, this was obvious. They were the words out of their own mouth. And we simply reiterated. And they told us later. They said, man, uh, we really didn't like hearing that. And uh, that really hurt my feelings. And, and uh, I was really hurt when you said that. And I, I was shocked. I was floored. I, I hadn't seen it on them, and I, they're coming to us saying, gee, our life's a wreck, and you mirror back to them what they've said, and it's like you hurt our feelings. Uh, but they said a week or two weeks later, we're so glad you did. We've realized that that's the deal. You know, there's, there's these issues. Our life's a wreck for very specific reasons. Uh, we've been failing. We haven't been doing the right thing. And so we were willing to say that to them. This wasn't rocket science. It came from out of their own mouths, you know, and you, you tell them, well, this is obviously what's going on. Uh, you need to be willing to be kind, not nice. Don't make nice your aim. Be kind. And sometimes kind means speaking the truth sometimes is easy. I see God's doing something in your life. It's great. Or I've really noticed that you have really been excelling at doing something well, and I want to encourage you that. Sometimes it's easy. Other times it's not. I've noticed such and such. Have you thought about this? Or I realize you've done A, B, and C, and you know this isn't right. What are you going to do about this? Um, being willing to speak the truth in love, being willing to be kind instead of nice is huge. It's huge in our culture. Be kind, don't be nice. Uh, fourth, speaking of being kind instead of nice, in correction or reproof, when you need to go to your friend or your brother in correction or reproof, speak directly and narrowly. Speak directly and narrowly. We're terrible about this. We're terrible about this as a culture. I know. 
Uh, Matthew 18.5 says, If your brother sins, shins, if he sins, go and show him his fault in private. If your brother sins, if there's a moral issue in his life, her life, that needs to be addressed, it says go to him, go to them in private. You address that sin with them, between you and them, in private. You don't go tell every other person you know about their sin except them. Do you know this is the standard operating procedure in the church, don't you? You, you do not, by any means, go tell the person who's involved about the issue. You tell ten other people instead of them. That's the modus operandi for our culture and our church. This says, if your brother sins, and let me just say on a broader application, this Matthew 18, this passage addresses sin issues that if the person doesn't repent, they'll be put out of the church. Because Jesus says his church is to be holy, it's to reflect he and his nature, and there's some things you don't put up with in the church, not because you don't like that person, but because God requires a minimum standard in his household. So that's what this is directly talking about. But indirectly, let's just say that you know your brother or your friend, some issue in their life that's not an issue that they would ever be put out of the church for, but it's destructive. You should still follow this principle. Address it between them and you, personally. Don't go tell ten other people about it first and wring your hands together and say, isn't it terrible? You go to the person, you address them. It's direct and it's narrow. You've not told anyone that doesn't need to know. It's the minimum amount of communication and it's in a straight line. I love this because it's simple and it's direct. It would be hard to fathom the amount of trouble we would avoid if we followed this one principle, one principle. We mentioned gossip earlier. If we followed this one principle, it would cut out the opportunity for gossip probably 90% of the occasions in which tail-bearing becomes an issue. If there's a problem, if there's a sin issue in this person's life and you understand it needs to be addressed, you do it directly and you do it face-to-face. You haven't brought in all these other people. You haven't told 10 other people. You've gone straight to them. This is the most loving thing you can do. It is speaking the truth in love. The Matthew passage continues and says, If he doesn't listen to you, you take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact is confirmed. Again, this is the most direct and it is the most limited. You haven't taken 10 other people. You've not told the story to your relatives across the country and every other person in the church, you've taken two or three. And this was the biblical minimum that's required to establish something as fact. So again, there's a problem. I've addressed it personally, directly, one-on-one. It wasn't resolved. They rejected it. So now I don't take everyone else against them. I bring in two or three witnesses. Again, this is discreet and it's limited. This is in reproof or correction. And then if they haven't listened to two or three, then it says tell the church because the church should bring to bear the church's uh, relationships and impact in attempting to get this person to change this moral issue in their life. But do you see how simple and direct this is? You go straight to the person. If they change, if the issue's resolved, great. You know what? No one else will ever know about it. No gossip, no tail-bearing, no contention, no strife. It's solved. 
If it's not solved by the first thing, you only take two or three with you. The minimum number required by the scriptures to establish things, the, the facts of an issue. And then, it's only then that the church as a whole is brought in. This, is, uh, this would avoid so much trouble, um, incredible amounts of trouble and contention and uh, disruptive uh, relationships, etc., 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 to just follow this. Even if it's not a sin that someone would be put out of the church for, just avoiding trouble, uh, less than healthy habits or practices by someone else that they may have no clue that it's having negative impact on them or others. Be willing to speak the truth in love. When you do, do it directly and narrowly. In contrast to that, speaking the truth in love, in praise, speak broadly. Uh, Proverbs 31, great passage. This godly woman uh, who's been a faithful uh, wife and this faithful uh, parent, it says that her husband and her children rise up and they bless her in the public gate. When they're singing her praises, they may do it at home also, but their praise in Proverbs 31 is given in the public square. The husband is praising his wife. The children are rising up and blessing her in the public square. So when you have praise to give, certainly make sure the person hears it. That's great, and it's an encouragement. But when you have the truth to speak in love and it's praise, you can feel free to broadcast that. That's a good thing, and that's a blessing to the person whom it's direct or who it's speaking about, and it's also a good thing for others to hear. It's a good thing. So, in praise, speak broadly. And the last of these six things is, remember that the words you speak reflect your heart, so that if you have a word problem, a speech problem, you really have a heart problem. Matthew 12, Jesus says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Our words don't come out of thin air. They come from within. They come from our heart. It's as if there's a well down here, and when we speak, we draw water out of that well and we pour it out. And the question becomes, what's in there? Is this this clean, healthy water, or is it fetid and diseased? Our words reflect our heart. Jesus says later in Luke 6, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. If your words are good, it reflects a good heart. He says the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what is evil. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. If you look over your pattern of speech and communication and it's negative, there are issues to address just between you and the Lord. Lord, I realize that I tend to speak about others behind their back. It's a problem. It's a moral problem between you and the Lord you need to address. If I have a habit of instead of addressing people directly with a problem, telling the ten others, it's a hard issue. I need to address that between the Lord and myself. So if my words are destructive, I'm only speaking out of the abundance of my heart. There's something destructive going on in my heart, that needs to be addressed. So it's not just a surface issue that we deal with, it's a heart issue that we deal with. Uh, Even thinking about restraint in our words, being disciplined uh, in the manner in which we speak, this is a moral issue. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Or a lack of self-control is a moral issue. 
It's not just uh, an insignificant weakness. It's a moral issue that I need to confront between the Lord and myself. So if there's a speech problem, there's a heart problem. And make sure you're addressing that with the Lord. And uh, closing up, this isn't on speaking, but this is on hearing the truth. If someone speaks the truth to you, listen. Don't react. Just listen. Uh, E. Stanley Jones said, My critics are the unpaid guardians of my soul. My critics are the unpaid guardians of my soul. Winston Churchill said something along that same line. I can't recall right now. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame. Apply this especially to someone speaking, reproof or correct, something that you think is hard to hear. Don't answer before they finish speaking. Listen. Be quick to hear. Listen to what they're saying. James 1.19 again says, Let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger again, especially if someone's addressing some issue in your life. Oftentimes our first response is, I'm angry. This says, be quick to hear. Don't respond before they're done. Listen, good criticism is so hard to come by that even if someone that you know detests you is telling you something about yourself, Don't be too quick to put that off and just reject it. God can speak through donkeys and mules. He can speak through someone that hates you. He can speak the truth. I've had occasions when people have said things to me that I know they meant for, for hurt and harm. But I went home thinking, Lord, is there any truth in what they just said? Because if there is, it can only help me. And if they actually meant to pierce me through with a sword, but it's true... Even if they didn't speak it in love, God can still use it for my benefit and for my sake. So when you're on the hearing end, perhaps as infrequently as this may be, if you're on the hearing end of this, of someone speaking the truth, even not in love, but especially if it is in love, just listen. Just listen. And sometimes if your initial reaction is anger or frustration or whatever, Bite your tongue, hold your words, ask questions if that helps you. But don't just respond. Listen to what they say. Think about it, pray about it. If necessary, get back with them or ask them for further input or feedback. But don't reject it out of hand. Consider it, weigh it, pray about it. That's hard to come by. And if someone's speaking the truth to you, listen. God may be speaking through them. So we can worship God with our words. We'll give account for our words. Paul says we're to use these incredibly powerful elements we have, the words we speak, to speak the truth in love. And that will make us and will make others around us more and more like Christ himself. So don't do it destructively. Do it constructively. Spend your words like money wisely. Be kind, not nice. In in correction or reproof, speak narrowly. In praise, speak broadly. And when you hear the truth spoken... Uh, listen. Don't speak back immediately. Don't reject anything out of hand, but listen and prayerfully consider it. Let's pray. Lord, you've given incredible power to every one of us by words we speak. 
Lord, I think of marriages, how often words are used like bombs to cast at the other person when we're hurt or angry, attempting to hurt back or to bring destruction. Uh, Lord, or from one sibling to another, how often words can be hurtful and spoken with strife. Lord in heaven, we pray that you'll be solving our heart problems, whatever they are, so that our words can be worshipped to you, that you can attach your name to the words we speak, that we can say them and not regret them later when we give account as we see you face to face. Lord, make it our ambition to speak what's true in love to those around us. Make it our ambition to be kind, not nice. Nice allowing others uh, hurtful things in their life unaddressed. Help us to be kind by speaking the truth in love. Instruct us in this thing, Lord, more. We've just touched on it this morning. But make our hearts right with you and let our words be praise and thanks to you and health and healing to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.